Grace to you and peace in the name of Jesus Christ. From Deuteronomy, it is not too hard and not too far away. No, the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart. Today I want to revisit with you the parable of the Good Samaritan who made an important stop while on his way somewhere. So in preparation for today, I asked the staff to give the distance and time it takes for them to get to this somewhere and also to send me remarks. Our average staff commute distance is 15.3 miles. Our average commute time is 42 minutes and 27 seconds. <laughs> Not that anyone is counting. Here are a few heavily edited remarks. <laughs> About 30 minutes with no traffic. Christmas Eve, for example. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Or it can be as bad as 23 hours ice storm. <laughs> MapQuest says 38 minutes, ha. <laughs> Only one person takes MARTA, which is telling. Another has a one mile, six minute commute, kingdom of heaven. And lots and lots of people say it used to be this long and now it's way, way, way this long. I think my favorite is the one whose commute varies from 20 minutes on Sundays to an hour and a half on crazy days. She starts off in this pleasant, hopeful tone. The 40-minute commute is a good amount of time to get one's head in the game for work Think about the day's schedule, the to-do list, etc. Longer than that, one gets frustrated, irritated, and irked off. <laughs> so true. Commutes are not new. Jerusalem to Jericho, 18 miles. Jericho was, is, and pray God will be this gorgeous place in Palestine with never-failing springs. It's the oldest continuously occupied urban area on earth. 10,000 years. 23 layers. A green and lush resort back then with great food, exotic shops, wares, Cliffs looming behind it, probably where Jesus went into the wilderness. What's not to like, except for the 18-mile commute to and fro Jerusalem on a steep road with robbers hanging around. Not a buen camino, like Noel was telling us last week. A bad road, a bad commute. So people just want to get that trip over safely and quickly. I don't know, would you have stopped 
rough place, stranger looking already dead, long way to go, nobody watching. Would you have stopped? Would you have want somebody that you love to stop? I have always read this parable before as one where the priest and the Levite were unusually callous. They should have done something. Doing compassion matters. But today I want to admit I get them. We who live in this commuter world get them. Sealed in our private conditioned worlds, destination driven. In T.S. Eliot's prescient phrase, we are distracted from distraction by distraction. So we get the ones who glance and go on because we do it every day. The surprise is the one who stops and connects and goes over aboard, uh, over and beyond. Now, think of what group you would be most surprised to see compassionate. You know you have several groups in your head if you are a human being over the age of 11. <laughs> Could be your in-laws. You've got your bad group, okay? The one who stops and connects and goes over and beyond is one of those guys. And we know this. He got blessed into eternity in the stopping. Because not all the robbers of our lives are out there. Some of them are in here. Robbers like the old tapes running through your head so you don't hear the birds and the people around you and the music of the spheres. Robbers like fear and anxiety over what's coming so you don't live in what is. Robbers like greed, bitterness, anger, covetousness, Uh oh, all saints. Pride. Envy. And yes, laziness, sloth. Those are some real life robbers and they live right here ready to jump out on every road we're on and rob us to death. That Samaritan, he beat those robbers down. Is there some hard and fast rule that tells us when to stop and connect and when not? I don't think there is. The irony is that when he tells this story, Jesus himself is on a journey and won't stop. A journey where he is brusque, almost cruel to anyone who wants to stop, one to go back home and say goodbye, another to bury her father. Jesus won't hear of it for he is pushing, pushing, pushing onward to Jerusalem to his destiny, to stretching out his arms on the hard wood of the cross for the whole warring world. My cousin Emily, who is a lawyer for poor people in Mississippi, wrote on Facebook Thursday night at 1 o'clock in the morning, 
after an American week that saw the latest two in a long, long, agonizing, terrible line of black men dead of cop quickfire and a night of five white cops on duty at a Black Lives Matter rally cut down by a sniper. Emily wrote, This country has lost its collective mind. Yeah. And surely we are looking, looking, looking for our collective heart. We want to be better than this. We do. I'm reminded of when a young, discouraged man said to Kurt Vonnegut, please tell me that it will all be okay. And Kurt Vonnegut said back, Welcome to earth, young man. It's hot in the summer and cold in the winter. It's round and wet and crowded. At the outside, buddy, you got about a 100 years here. There's only one rule that I know of. Damn it, buddy, you've got to be kind. We've got to be kind. For instance, around this block, we have two white male police and about 25 consistently present black men some on the various staffs, some in residence at Covenant Community, and some Men of Hope alumni from Covenant Community who work our security. And all of them, all of them, except the newbie Covenant Community people, all of them know each other's names and respect the dignity of one another. Around this block, no matter what, Kindness and justice is the order of the day. We may not live into that fully, but we know do unto otherness as you want it done to you-ness is the way, the truth, and the life. And our job is to spread that around. We know that in this space which has seen so much wars, depression, pestilence, and many good Samaritans of every stripe and lots of folks in ditches. Today, in the prayers of the people, we will pray for the men who died this week, including the shooter, because God tells us to none of whom got to go home on the day they died. And as the columnist Charles Blow says, everybody deserves to go home. So where does this week from hell leave us? We are called to walk out of here and do exactly what? I don't know. Even Jesus was not consistent. But surely it is not too hard or too far away, but here in our mouths and in our hearts, in our conversations. If you are white, 
It starts by not getting all sensitive and defensive and getting feelings hurt when a black person tells what it is like in his or her skin in this world. If you are black, it is for you to say to me and others where it starts for you. I know for everybody it starts by our not glancing away. Let our teacher be Holocaust survivor Ellie Wiesel, who knew so deeply and wrote so timelessly about what he identified. He identified this as the racism of the world. They say he died last week, but I don't think so. Here he is alive to us, teaching us how to live in the faith. He says, look, if I were alone in the world, I would have the right to choose despair, solitude, and self-fulfillment. But I am not alone. He says, all collective judgments are wrong. Only racists make them. He says, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness. It's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy. It's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death. It's indifference. He says, you can't cure everybody. You cannot help everybody. But whoever listens to a witness becomes a witness. And to listen and then tell the person that you, you are not far or different from that lonely person, that is action. And action is the only remedy to indifference. The most insidious danger of all. Y'all, that's not too hard or too far away. On our long commutes, every human being headed in the same direction, death or life. Just practice kindness. Just practice justice and not be indifferent. How, who, where, what level to engage? That could be a prayer right here, right now.